According to the 2020 U.S. Census, the tiny farming community of Beaconsfield, Iowa, boasts a population of just 15 people. The downtown area bustles with one commercial building, the original Hy-Vee grocery store, and a United Methodist Church. By all appearances, it seems as unlikely a launch pad for interstellar dreams if ever there was one. Imagine growing up there in the 1960s and 70s, during NASA's golden age of exploration, when men first walked on the moon. For a young woman coming of age in this rural town, the then male-dominated profession of astronautics could have easily seemed completely out of reach. Maybe so for most folks. But then you need to meet Peggy Whitson, Beaconsfield's most famous daughter, and the American who has spent more time in space than any other U.S. astronaut. A role model for perseverance and daring do, Dr. Whitson enjoyed a legendary career as a NASA astronaut with such noteworthy achievements as twice being named the commander of the International Space Station, as well as holding the position of chief of the astronaut office and chair of the astronaut selection board. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and on this episode of If When, Dr. Whitson joined me to discuss the future of human spaceflight. She currently serves as Axiom Space's Director of Human Spaceflight, following a career of 37 years as a NASA astronaut and scientist. Before joining Axiom Space, she was the first female commander of the ISS and has flown three long-duration missions to the space station, has conducted 10 spacewalks, and has spent more cumulative time in space than any woman in the world. Upon joining Axiom Space, she commanded the Axiom 2 mission, becoming the first female commander of a commercial spaceflight mission to the ISS. It was a privilege to sit down with Dr. Whitson to learn firsthand about her amazing career and to get her thoughts on the future of spaceflight and the role that privatized commercial endeavors will play to help us push the frontiers of human space exploration even further out. So Peggy, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to uh, learning about all the great work that's going on at Axiom Space and uh, you know these exciting missions that you all are are preparing for, as well as you know you've got a storied career in space and would love to unpack that, learn a little bit more. Um, so just first off, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's really great to join join you guys. I know that. Jacobs is uh, plays an important role in space and lots of other industries, so it's it's very exciting to chat with you guys. No, well, thank you so much. So, you know, kind of to start us off, and we'll we'll go full circle here, but I want to start us off talking about like STEAM endeavors, STEAM education. You know, there's a lot of push these days to try to help kids see themselves you know, as astronauts and engineers and scientists and, you know, really embracing, you know, math and science and whatnot. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about young Peggy Whitson and like, you know, like what kind of inspired that, uh, that dream to, to go to the stars and do all the hard work that is necessary to become an astronaut? You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, your own journey and, you know, why you pursued space. Well, that's that's a great question, Paul. I um, started my interest in space started probably with Star Trek, but <laughs> the, <laughs> it became something real to me, something tangible uh, when I watched the first guys walk on the moon. Mm-hmm. For me, that was a, a really pivotal moment. I thought, wow, cool job. I mean, even as a nine-year-old, I knew that was something very special and impressive. 
that our country had done. And I thought, wow, I'd like to do that too. But I was, you know, I was an Iowa, rural Iowa farm kid, had no idea how to go about doing anything like that. And, you know, just assumed that that was probably not ever going to be something for me. But it was, you know, it's still in my head. I dreamed about being an astronaut, even wrote some poetry growing up (laughs) about being an astronaut and going into space. I think uh, what really changed for me was uh, the year I graduated from high school and they, NASA selected the first female astronauts. And among them were Shannon Lucid, who is a biochemist, and uh, Ray Seddon, a doctor, and Ellen Baker, a doctor. And I was interested in doing life sciences. And I thought, wow, maybe I can, you know, I can become an astronaut. You know, they picked some females and they are, you know, scientists in fields that I would like to, you know, pursue. And so at that point, it changed from being a dream to being a goal. I still say that looking back on my on my life, I'm probably lucky I had no idea how hard that would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was a you know an important step for me to make that transition to make it a goal. I applied, started applying to be an astronaut as soon as I finished my PhD in 1986. I applied for 10 years before I was lucky enough to be selected as an astronaut. During those 10 years, I still worked at NASA. I was a scientist, research scientist for NASA, and I was leading the U.S.-Russian Joint Science Working Group uh, and doing a lot of very interesting things. But at the time, I was very impatient with the fact I was not an astronaut. Mm -hmm. I look back now, though, and I know that those experiences that I learned during that time, leading people, you know, in harsh environments and, you know, with no plan, having to come up with solutions uh, on my own with this team. It was a very important time for me. I developed a lot of leadership and teamwork skills that in the end, I think, are what qualified me to be selected as the first female commander on the International Space Station and selected as first chief, female chief and non-military chief of the astronaut office. Uh, I think those were things that I never even would have dreamed of. But with that experience, I was ready for those tasks when they were offered up as an option. No, it's fantastic. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking it's like the, the patience, perseverance that you had to, you had to cultivate, you know, during that while you're, you're waiting for your time. I mean, and how important those skills are as a leader, especially in a harsh environment like space and like all, all of the, the technology that goes into it. And, you know, it's funny, you say Iowa farm kid and, you know, without getting into the big Star Trek geeking world, you know, Captain James T. Kirk was also an Iowa farm kid and, you know, look where he went. But, you know, I, I love it because I love, I love your story because, you know, the importance of representation. Right. You know, like you were you yourself saw other women who um, were like becoming astronauts and getting into those roles. And like you yourself in your career are not have been and are, you know, a, a role model for other women. Right. Who can see themselves like, hey, I, I could be Peggy Whitson. I could do you know, I can I can aspire to do that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know, kudos to you. Just fantastic. I, I like to tell folks that your path to your goal isn't always a straight line. 
-hmm. And mine certainly wasn't. And it took a lot of years to get there. But uh, I think it's so important to learn from all the opportunities that you're given. You know, and sometimes you might fail, but it's something you can still learn from. And I think that's a really important lesson for anybody, no matter what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. No, fantastic. So let's let's talk a little bit about Axiom Space and and kind of unpack that a little bit. You know, for people who may or may not have seen Axiom Space, you know, besides the fact that y'all make like really cool looking spacesuits, you know, and <laughs> and a lot of great technology, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, for the uninitiated, you know, who is Axiom Space? What do they do? How are y'all leading in the commercial space industry? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So Axiom Space actually won a contract with NASA to put a module, an Axiom Space module, on the International Space Station. And that's important because that allows us to start developing things, developing our program a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, the last two missions, the Axiom 1 and Axiom 2 missions, that went to the International Space Station. We don't have our module up there yet, but we went up there and we were testing out our procedures and processes, the interfaces with NASA and how to make commercial space work as we we develop that station up there. Mm -hmm. And as you know, in 2030 or thereabouts, the International Space Station is gonna be decommissioned. Before that happens, Axiom Station will separate from it. We'll already have you know, multiple years of experience and, you know, be a a very viable replacement, a commercial replacement for the International Space Station. So, and for me personally, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about what the future of Axiom Station can provide in the sense that Axiom Station is going to try and develop commercial biomanufacturing in space and other types of commercial activities in space. Mm-hmm. And because my background as a scientist, I, I get really excited about the fact that we're actually going to commercialize the lack of gravity as a tool to mm-hmm. make things that we can use either here on Earth or we can learn to expand our our reach in space. And so it's very exciting for me to be a part of that. Mm. You know, and so your career is like heavily involved in NASA and in the government. And then now, of course, you're in the commercial side with Axiom Space, you know, and that trajectory we're also seeing, I think, really kind of play out, at least in the in a, the American space industry, where, you know, it used to be NASA had a complete monopoly on everything. And now it's really kind of opening up. And so there's companies like Axiom Space who are are starting to really make themselves felt and known in that industry. So, you know, with that experience, right, you, you've, you've straddled, you've had a foot in the, the government world, and now you have a foot in the commercial world. Can you talk about what it's like to work with, you know, commercial astronauts, uh, which is a relatively new field, I, I'm imagining. But can you talk about, like, what it's like to work with commercial astronauts as part of your role at Axiom Space? Sure. Well, Axiom's goal is to try and open up space to uh, more and more people all over the Earth. And that mm-hmm. that can be uh, private astronauts who are paying for a position to go into do research in, in orbit, or it could be governments who are doing it, or it could be investigations uh, that want to be flown on the International Space Station. And, us, and we provide an access earlier than they might normally get. 
So a lot of entities that never had access before because they weren't part of the international partnership that was developed 23 years ago uh, or more, mm-hmm. and they weren't part of that initial phase. And Axiom Space and Axiom Station allows that capability, not only in the future on Axiom Station, but now, even with the research that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I had two uh, astronauts, government-represented astronauts from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. and they were doing a lot of scientific research for their country, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, John Schaffner was there. Um, He's a private astronaut from Tennessee, And he was also doing research on board the station. And we were doing a number of national lab research investigations. And I was really excited about the capability of doing research on colorectal cancers and breast cancers. We were looking at a new therapy or potential for a therapy to be developed. Mm -hmm. And the, the researchers are extremely excited about the results. Microgravity is a great model for growing these cancers because they grow more like they do in your human body. Mm. And so they, they can actually test therapies and drugs in space and test ways to detect and hopefully prevent these cancers from forming. Mm. And so it's, it's a really powerful tool platform to test drugs that will inhibit cancers and potentially ways to predict or detect cancers even earlier, which will help in the prevention. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you about that, you know, kind of some of the life science type of experiments on a space station and like, you know, what that will tell us. So let's unpack this a little bit, your vision for the research that's done on Axiom Station. And obviously, you know, you've got an interest in the life sciences, but what are some of the other kinds of areas where you see commercial or maybe other like not like government entities like Saudi Arabia that are like non-traditional space players who are now having an access point where they didn't before, you know, what kinds of research uh, projects, what are some of the, the opportunities that you see that, you know, Axiom Station is going to, is going to open up for people? Well, I think it'll open up research in all different kinds of areas, physical sciences, um, you know, a lot of research, on board the International Space Station has been done in combustion and fluid physics and just the the characteristics of physical properties that get changed without convective forces or um, just the effects of being in space. And mm-hmm. uh, I am excited. I think pharmaceutical companies are going to come up with some of the earliest uses for space research because they will have, I think they're going to find a platform where they can develop things more efficiently or effectively. Another area that, because I'm life sciences background, I have a lot more examples in life sciences, but the the protein crystallization, uh, because there's lack of sedimentation, some crystals form even better in space. They form more perfectly. And the the researchers on the ground can then use the spectroscopy and look at detail down to the molecule level of the three-dimensional structure and figure out ways to develop new antibodies or antigens to detect or to prevent disease progression. And so it's really exciting uh, the potential that exists out there. 
There's yeah. other biomanufacturing things that we are testing out. Uh, we did a few tests of those on orbit uh, on this mission as well. So it's exciting. Oh, and I've got to imagine like the data that the data pool that y'all generate too. And then like, you know, you, you couple it with something like artificial intelligence or whatnot, and then you can start doing some modeling. And I, I just got to assume that there's like complementary technologies that will just like exponentially allow you to just grow and learn even more and more. You know, this is like a new, like a new platform for learning or, or uh, you know, getting data, right? I mean, we've had the space stations for a while, of course, but now it's like more people can be involved, more projects can be involved. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it, it really kind of opens up the panorama of like what we can learn. Yeah, um, for sure. Now, you know, you've been, you've been an astronaut for uh, quite some time. So this might be kind of an unfair question to kind of go back to the greatest hits package here, but can you share with us like an interesting event or obstacle in space in your career and what you learned from it? Well, I mean, over the years, there's just been lots of different events. You know, I, I have always felt like NASA does an amazing job at solving problems. And at one point during one of my missions, it was when I was the uh, commander on Expedition 16, we were moving a solar array. They're 115 feet long that had been repackaged down into its blanket box. And then we moved it to another location on station. As we redeployed it, uh, there'd been a problem getting it collapsed. And as we redeployed it, it tore. And so the team on the ground and the team, I was with uh, Pam Elroy's shuttle crew and my crew, and we mm -hmm. had to come up with a fix. The ground team came up with some ideas and then, you know, we had to actually physically cut metal and shape things and add wire and tape oh, wow. and, you know, come up with a, a fix on orbit because, you know, you can't just go to Lowe's or Home Depot or buy something, <laughs> you know, so we had to come up with a solution, but the it was just a, a, an amazing effort by the ground team and the, the team on orbit coming up with a, a fix to this problem. And that, you know, to me demonstrates how important teamwork is and how important listening to everyone is. As, as it turns out, it was a very young engineer that came in with the idea about how about we just make like cufflinks to span the tear and put it in these little integral holes on either side of the tear, kind of like putting sutures on it. And mm. it was a great idea and one they made work. And so it's just really spectacular. Uh, during this last mission for Axiom Space, mm -hmm. one of the important things that, you know, I've become to realize I've done a lot of training over the years training crew members with for long duration missions and what's the best type of training. And uh, we've evolved the training at NASA over those years to optimize for long duration crew members. Mm -hmm. And now working with Axiom, I've got short duration crew members. And so it's interesting because now I'm taking folks back to train more like we did when we were training on shuttles because <laughs> <laughs> it's a short mission. It's very defined. We have to get our specific mm -hmm. objectives done in a very short period of time. And so now we're evolving our training, Axiom Space's training uh, mm -hmm. is taking uh, what NASA can help us with, but then evolving it and making it more focused on what our mission needs are. So mm -hmm. I, I'm thrilled to be able to help out and be a part of that. So do you think like with like space station living, 
you know, like, are, are, are you going to see like the training windows lengthen where it's as we get more and more mature technologically with like life in space, you know, and you, you read stories like, like Christina Koch was like in space, like almost a full year and stuff like that, you know. Are, are you seeing like the training is changing to where we're, we're really focusing more on getting people used to the idea of being up there longer and like, you know, like Axiom Station, I'm assuming it's, you know, it's trying to get up there and get back down. It's not like you said, it's not like just, you know, going down the street, you know, to Lowe's or whatever. I mean, it's, it takes an effort to, to leave yeah. the Earth's gravity. So how would you think like kind of the training focus? I mean, are, are we working more towards trying to prepare people for longer term life and space type missions? Well, I think what Axiom is offering is that we're going to tailor our training flow to fit what the mission objectives are. If it happens mm-hmm. to be a short mission versus a long mission, mm-hmm. uh, I think over the 23 years that we've been flying the International Space Station, NASA has tweaked and modified their training to optimize for the longer duration missions. And I've had a lot of experience with that, so I can help with our training flows for longer duration missions in the future for Axiom Station. But this in-between time frame, it's really mm-hmm. important to adapt in order to optimize our mission uh, success uh, for these shorter missions, at least these initial shorter missions. Yeah. So uh, my last question for you, any final words, words of advice or words of inspiration, you know, for our next generation of explorers, you know, we have the Artemis mission coming up and, you know, we, we're going to be going to Mars out, you know, at some point soon. So um, any words for the, the next batch of explorers to, uh, to get out there? Well, I think the most important advice I can give anyone is you need to live a little bit outside your comfort zone be willing to accept that you might fail at something because if you challenge yourself to do even more than you think you can, you're going to find out you're way more capable than you might have ever dreamed of or even imagined. Mm -hmm. And by learning from the times when it doesn't go exactly the way you would have liked it, it prepares you even more for the next step. And so I, I challenge young people to don't do what's just easy. Don't do what you just know you can do. Do more than you think you can. Challenge yourself and live outside your comfort zone. Excellent. Well, words to live by. Well, Dr. Peggy Whitson of Axiom Space, thank you so much for joining me today and and talking about the the future of human spaceflight. We'll be uh, watching uh, Axiom, learn more news about the Axiom Station and, and just really exciting work. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yes. Thank you. It was great. Great discussion, Paul.